You're listening to the Conversations with Kids Peace podcast. Advice, information, and inspiration from experts at the leading provider of mental and behavioral health services for children, adults, and those who love them. Now, here's your host. Hello, and welcome to our podcast series, Conversations with Kids Peace. I'm Bob Martin. The latest issue of Kids Peace's flagship publication, Healing Magazine, has been published. And with this issue, we look at the therapeutic benefits of having pets, animals, and nature in general in your life. And we'll be talking with three of our contributors on that topic on this podcast. First up, what happens when a nature education program has to switch gears because of changes in funding? In the case of a Pennsylvania-based nonprofit, they discovered a new approach to meeting the behavioral health needs of at-risk elementary school students. And to talk about that, we welcome Brittany Condravi, an environmental educator with the Wildlands Conservancy. It's a nonprofit organization dedicated to protecting and restoring natural areas and waterways in eastern Pennsylvania, as well as to educate the community to create a legacy of a healthy, sustainable environment for future generations. Her article about the group's wild about learning program is in the new issue of healing magazine Brittany, thanks for being with us thank you so much for having me now your your article details how the conservancy's program this is wild about learning mm-hmm. actually began as promotion of science learning and literacy yeah. until you got some surprising news and can you briefly explain what happened that turned you towards a focus on social emotional learning yeah in uh, from 2014 to 2018 united way had given us a positive youth program designation, and that meant that we were going into first grade classrooms to promote science and literacy in order to increase the amount of students reading at grade level by grade three. That program had done so well um, from from each year, 2014 up to 18, we were expanding it, the teachers and classrooms were embracing it, that when their new investment plan came out for the 2018 to 2022 uh, list of strategies, We just assumed that our program would be in that investment strategy that would fit the parameters um, of their new investment strategy. Because you were doing so well. Because we were doing so well and it was expanding and everybody loved it. Um, And I remember holding uh, a copy of that investment plan, a physical copy at a seminar where United Way would explain the new parameters to us. And me and my team were looking down at this copy and we're reading over all the different parameters of a positive youth program and we look at each other and we realize we're not going to fit anymore. We can't match this criteria and still have the program that we do. So the first reaction was panic mode because we love this program. The community loves this program and we see so much potential in it. And after that, um, the seminar, once we had time to really go through the new investment plan and look at all the ways they were refining their own strategies, we found that there was a a new goal to provide social emotional learning programs in order to meet those behavioral health needs and that the components of our program could actually be leveraged to meet those those very needs of the community and the more we thought about it the more we got excited and realized that switching the way we use those components would actually allow them to be more powerful and give the kids what they needed, not just what we wanted them to have. And in your article, you deal with, uh, you, you talk in, in, in detail about mm-hmm. some of the things that you, you moved around and what, yeah. what you had to do. Yeah. I was wondering though, in reading it, I'm wondering if you think there's a special connection among the young kids mm-hmm. 
to understanding their own behavioral health by focusing on aspects of the natural world around them? I don't know if they would put it in those exact words because what we do is such a fusion between social emotional learning skills and building their connection to nature, they might not even realize that's happening. But what we can see um, as educators and, and from the classroom teacher standpoint is that when we go into all these different classrooms here at Allentown, Bethlehem, Easton, and now additional locations, we notice that the kids in classrooms without windows to nature, without as much space as you would like, those classrooms tend to have um, increased behavioral issues. And so when you're able to bring in even pictures of nature for them to make nature collages, you're bringing, able to bring in animals, able to bring in field equipment and start connecting them with the outdoor spaces, they instantly feel empowered to protect them. They feel connected um, to the living things that they might not have known where they were sharing their community with. And we're seeing the, the program have, have just a really strong impact on their, their self-awareness, social awareness, relationship skills, and responsible decision-making as they realize that they are not disconnected from nature, but are in fact a part of it and can work to expand it in their own communities. Now, you alluded to this, but I'm, I'm wondering, you know, you're in your second school year, I believe it is, for the program in the new focus. Yeah. And uh, how are the kids... How have the kids accepted it? I mean, compared to what was happening before. It's easier for us um, to implement it now. We are using, like I said, the same components, but not only has some of the content of the program changed, but I would say that our approach as educators had to also evolve with the content. So social emotional learning is not for every environmental educator. We really utilize... Um, well, we utilize dynamic storytelling, live animals, but then one of the biggest differences is setting up these sharing, sharing circles where students are listening and hearing each other's stories. Um, behavioral issues are being redirected positively. Those, those kids that maybe have a little too much energy are being made our helpers. They're not being punished, um, you know, in that and by punish, I mean a teacher, a classroom teacher might say, okay, you can't sit still, so you have to sit out because you don't get to enjoy this. Whereas now we are, uh, we will say, no, let them stay and we're going to give them this new job. And that job will involve helping other students actually. And in that way, by utilizing the elements of our own program and by really bringing them into our approach as, as people to these students, it's making it easier mm -hmm. to keep the students engaged for that full hour and for each session that we're there visiting them. That's pretty fascinating. Yeah. I mean, and again, the, the program is, you know, at, a, at sort of the obvious level, it's about nature. Yeah. You do bring in um, animals. Mm -hmm. One of the, one of the quotes that we have in the article is um, a thank you note that was given. Thank you for the s'mores. I had a great time <laughs> seeing the frogs and tadpoles. So we have yeah. that. But then, as you say, we're, we're also um, in some ways teaching some other skills in being able to bring this to right. the, to the sharing circles into the classroom. Right. And for this program, we visit each classroom uh, eight to 14 times, depending on uh, the funding source and client preference. And we're visiting them weekly or bi-weekly. And each visit uh, includes a storybook, a live animal, skills practice, a journaling exercise. And this is 
one big preparation for the field experience they'll have at our headquarters at Dorothy Ryder Pool Wildlife Sanctuary. And so we would see in the past when we would bring students in for a fall field trip before they got to have that time with us learning about nature, many of the children thought nature was gross or scary. They assumed there were things that could hurt them. Um, but when we've retooled the program, we made it so that we visit our class 14 times and each class is assigned a designated educator. So they're seeing that same face, someone they trust, someone that they've told those stories to and built that classroom dynamic so specific to that classroom and space. Um, and throughout that process of us visiting, they're learning about nature. They're doing it through a way that's building on social emotional learning components. Um, for instance, I mentioned this in the article, we might practice mindful listening which has a very strong grounding effect, and then bring out a live bird and practice listening to bird calls while using that mindful listening skill we just utilized. Mm -hmm. And that's because when they come to visit us on their field trip, we're gonna go in the woods and it's gonna be really important that we're quiet and that we're able to find that stillness in order to eke out as much as we can from the sounds of nature around us. And the kids do a much better job at being able to apply those skills that we link to a conservationist mm -hmm. after practicing them in the classroom through this social emotional learning program. What's next for your program? So we've already expanded the social emotional um, learning version. We now deliver the program to pre-K classes at L-Tri-C's Early Learning Center. That's Lehigh Carbon Community College. Yes. For those who are not yes. uh, blessed to be living in this area. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be back there this winter and spring. We visited one class last year. This year they'll have us visiting three separate classrooms. We're also now in Carbon County uh, at six different after-school program hubs delivering the program. So we're expanding uh, the locations that we offer the program and the amount of students we're offering it to. And we're just really excited to uh, make the program um, accessible to pre-K to second grade and, and hopefully third grade as well. That's fantastic. Mm -hmm. If folks want more information about uh, Wild About Learning or the Wildlands Conservancy, where can they get that? They should visit our website. That's wildlandspa.org. We have an entire education tab, which includes information about our programs, and it includes links to our team members, including me, and I'm always happy to share additional information to anyone who's interested. That's fantastic. Brittany Condravi is an environmental educator who oversees the Wild About Learning program for elementary students for Wildlands Conservancy, and you can read her article about the program in the latest issue of Healing Magazine. Brittany, thanks for being with us. Thanks so much for having me. Recently, I heard someone say to me, it's a choice. You can get busy living or get busy dying. And when they said that, it brought to mind the article that our next guest wrote for Healing Magazine. Kelly Bauer is the executive director of the Center for Animal Health and Welfare. It's a shelter organization based in Easton, Pennsylvania. And she wrote an extraordinary remembrance of a stray dog named Old Man Fred, that explores how one might make that choice for a pet and the unexpected ways that choice could work out. And Kelly joins us. Kelly, thank you for being with us. Welcome, and thank you so much for your story. Thank you for having me, and, and thank you for allowing me to share the story. Well, I have to tell you this. We are not going to rehash the story on this podcast because everybody needs to go to healingmagazine.org and read this wonderful piece that you've written. I want to note something to you. Um, we obviously, uh, when we get the stories in, we share them around here. We do some editing. We do some pro uh, proofreading, layout. I was really astonished with the intense 
emotional reaction all the folks here who had some role in that had to your story. And I'm wondering if, I know you've shared the story a number of times, is that common? Do you find that people really do respond the same way, which, which is a little bit, you know, I guess both heartbreaking and life affirming. Yeah. Is that how people react commonly? Well, I'll tell you, it's been a year and a half since we lost Fred and I still have people come up to me and say, you're Fred's mom. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, it does. It, it, I think it resonated with people on lots of levels, but I think most importantly, the human connection that we have with each other, with animals, just in general. And I think that tapped into that because it was very real and we kind of laid it out as it was and no, no real filter. And I think people appreciated that. I think so. And I, I think that's exactly the, what, what I got back and feedback from the people who read it here in the article, you are very honest about your own struggles and challenges. And you noted that caring for Fred and the other homeless pests at the shelter helps in dealing with those issues. Why do you think that's so? Well, I think what it is, and and it took me a while to figure out what it was actually. I, I This process has been a long time coming and this was the first time I've actually shared it publicly. And I think my love for him and what I do gave me sort of the courage to be okay with it. But I think what it is, is that when you are focused on caring about someone else and putting all your effort into them, you sort of take a back seat to to what you're feeling and what you're thinking and it works itself out and i think that's what i found that putting my focus on fred and his needs and my other dogs because i have six right. others um <laughs> now seven total but you know i think that helped me to put my focus on something else beyond my beyond my needs and and what i was going through that's really interesting i, I think people forget that sometimes you need to get that a little bit more into the subconscious and help it work out so it's not i, I always use the phrase you're not chewing on it all the time right and that that helps especially when you have creatures that need you to walk them and feed them, et cetera, et cetera. Um, in the article, you talk about um, in the midst of your time with Fred, you started a Facebook show, I guess it's called, uh, Feel Good Fridays with Fred. Um, can you talk a little bit about the reaction that you got from literally the thousands of people who started coming every week to follow your adventures? Yeah, so the first one started with the day that I actually brought him home. And we just did a quick hey, this is what's happening. This is who we are and what we're doing. And we're going to check in with you on on a daily basis. It started with a daily basis. And then as Fred was actually doing pretty well, I thought, well, I can't do this every day. So it became Feel Good Fridays with Fred. And again, I think it just tapped into that natural reaction you have to want to be part of something good and to feel connected in some way. I mean, there's lots of animal shelters, there's lots of animals, there's lots of unfortunately dying animals, but I think it was the human connection that Fred and I were a pair. And honestly, if you went anywhere in this Lehigh Valley over that year or that, that time period, you would see him and I together. So I think it was a real thing for people that they could connect to and we were part of their family, so to speak, and they would check in to see how their family was doing. And it, it's interesting because Fred really was a, um, he kind of was a star. He, he had that quality. And, um, you know, as you describe him in the article, um, one thing that came to mind was Fred was, was a very good companion. Yeah. And I'm just wondering, do you miss your time together with him? All the time. Um, it's interesting because at the time I had six other dogs and I loved them all for different reasons. 
Um, but he did and still holds a place in my heart that was so different from the rest of the dogs. He was meant to come into my life. He was meant to be there at that time. And you don't replicate that and you don't ever forget that. So there's times that I will look around and just kind of still look for him or something will happen, um, especially when I'm eating cheeseburgers. Um, <laughs> I think of him. So yes, I miss him. There's not a day goes by that I miss him. And it also doesn't feel as long as it's been. I mean, it, yeah. it feels like it just happened yesterday and it's been a year and a half. So, wow. Wow. Yeah. Uh, how can folks get more information about what you're doing at the Center for Animal Health and Welfare? So we have a great Facebook. It's facebook.com and it's C-A-H-W-1. Uh, if you want to feel connected to what we do, every Saturday we do a live feed called Poffy Talk and it's the good, bad, and hilarious of all things four-legged. And it's so much fun because again, it, it taps into that human connection. It's real. Sometimes I mess up my words. Sometimes I say things that maybe I shouldn't say. Um, <laughs> but we found in the, in the rescue world that we have real emotions and we have real experiences and I think people really connect to that. So that's a fun way to sort of get involved and put your two cents in and have fun with it. And of course you can visit us at healthyanimalcenter.org, which is our website. It has all of our events, all the dogs and cats that we have available and all the upcoming things we've got going on. You guys are doing great work and uh, I follow it and it's, it's just wonderful. Um, finally, the folks that are familiar with our podcast know that we often ask our guests for what we call life hack. Now this is a piece of advice or a wise saying in their lives. And I think the one that you ended your article with is one of the best that we've ever heard. Would you mind sharing that with us to close us out? I would. It is be the person your dog or cat thinks you are. In my case, it's be the person my dog thinks I am. If you think about it, no one looks at you with more admiration, love, commitment, dedication than your animal. They believe that you are the person that they think you are and they believe that you're good. And if we could all just be good and be that person our dog thinks we are, it'd be a better world. Kelly Bauer is executive director of the Center for Animal Health and Welfare in Easton, Pennsylvania, and her tribute to her friend Fred is in the latest issue of Healing Magazine. My friend, thank you for being with us, thank and so uh, thank you again for sharing your story. Thanks for having me. Finally, on this episode, we wanted to talk with one of the true stars of the latest Healing Magazine, an enthusiastic four-legged correspondent named Smorris, who details the rigors of becoming a certified therapy dog in his article. It appears, however, that we might be overlapping S'mores' nap time or eating time or maybe both. So instead, we welcome on the phone Denise Bain, a family consultant in Kids Pieces Foster Care Office in Indianapolis and not incidentally, S'mores' human mom. Denise, hello. Hi there. Great to have you with us. Thanks for making time. I, I want to stay at the beginning of our conversation that uh, S'mores uh, is a St. Bernard, so he is not a small dog. And that, that struck me kind of as unusual. I'm wondering if there's something special about a large breed dog being a therapy animal. You know, um, I love large breed dogs, so I knew that's what I wanted. Um, and I knew that I wanted him to be a therapy dog. Um, and then in that process, learning about other dogs and other families, um, I've learned that any size dog or breed can be a therapy dog. Um, they just have to have the right temperament. But with S'mores, it's really fun to watch because um, he doesn't have to, people don't have to bend down to him. So people in wheelchairs, he's just right there at their level. That's, um, you know, really neat, but he also works a lot with kids and they love to lay on the floor and cuddle with him too. So he's not easily breakable. <laughs> um, so that's nice. <laughs> it's nice too. I, I think too. I mean, I, I don't know me. I just, 
projecting my own views. I, I think St. Bernard's are awesome. And I, I think if they were in a, a situation where they you know, came in to, to folks who might be uh, in need of his services, so to speak, I think it, it's, it's really special to see that breed come in. Um, it, uh, he, he mentions in an article that he is three years old, um, but I think he may have had a birthday since then. I'm not sure. Um, he might have been like, he did. He just yeah. had a birthday last week. He just turned three. He so just he, turned, he just, he was, okay. Yes. He All was right. Ahead of himself, but he just turned three last week. Well, you mentioned that, um, you mentioned that, that you wanted to have, um, uh, you wanted to get a dog and, and have them be a therapy dog. When did you realize that he had that kind of personality that was going to be a good fit for that role? Oh, my goodness. So that was my hope and dream, right? But you don't ever know if the dog you're getting is going to be up for that or want to do that. Um, so you have to really pay attention to the cues they're giving you. But Smorris has always just made people happy, you know. Um, and part of the training is taking the taking the dog to all kinds of new environments and places. So we would do as many you know, outdoor festivals and any stores that allowed dogs, things like that, as much as we could to get him in new environments. And just everywhere we went, um, he just makes people happy. I've never really seen anything like it. Um, he just, everyone has a story about a St. Bernard. And I think too, I don't know how it is everywhere, but here in Indiana, we always hear, oh, I've never seen a St. Bernard in person. So just, just his breed in general makes people happy, but he is a people pleaser. He loves um, the attention of people and he loves to give attention to people. Um, and I think people enjoy that aspect as well. Now, and, and you mentioned in, in, in that um, he had to go through a lot of training and in the article, S'mores goes through the 13 tests that he had to ace. You have to pass them all to become certified. Were there any of those steps that you were particularly anxious about for him? Um, so we trained for nine months to a year. Um, and I think just the first time we tried each one, you know, one of the things is not taking a treat out of someone's hand. Well, St. Bernard is huge and slobbery and loves treats, you know. So I think that one made me nervous at first, but he's actually, that's the best one he's the best at. Um, he also moves at his own pace. And so <laughs> sometimes you tell him to sit and it might take him longer than then you want him to do that because he's just a slow moving guy. So I think that made me a little anxious, but um, overall he did a really good job with it. Yeah, he passed um, on the first try. I thought that was amazing. He did. Yes. And he actually passed um, every handler has to take the test. So he passed with myself and my husband as well. We're both his handlers. Oh, that's wonderful. So he did actually two tests back to back. Now, what are some places uh, you go with S'mores in his role as a therapy dog? Well, S'mores is actively involved um, in my work at Kids Peace. So he visits with our foster families and foster kids a lot. A lot of my clients will um, earn time with him by, <laughs> you know, good behavior or whatever goals they're working on. If they are succeeding at working on those goals or hitting those goals, they earn time with him um, if that's something they want. So he visits and he comes to our all of our events as well. So he visits with the kids quite a bit. Um, he regularly visits Marion University here in Indianapolis. He'll visit the medical students. Um, they have therapy dog Thursdays because it can be a stressful, you know, time being in medical school. So, so, so these love, are the students. These are the medical students. The, the college, that are, college students. Yeah. He, he visits them. Oh, that's, they that's, that's very interesting. Him. You know, we, we're talking a lot with, uh, you know, folks about, you know, how, how stress can affect people's work. And it hadn't occurred to me that, 
you know, I, I can imagine the, the therapy dogs being in to see the patients, but that, that they'd have some benefit for the, the students as well. That, that's fabulous. Yeah. Yeah, they absolutely love it. And they will get on the floor and lay with him. You know, of course, they're also missing their own pets from home. So that's that's nice for them to see. Um, he also regularly, we do the Indie Honor Flights, which is a program that takes um, our military veterans to, they spend a day in Washington, D.C., um, going to the war memorials and such. And there's a big um, reception for them. So we take the therapy dogs there. Um, to visit with the veterans. We do that about four to five times a year. Um, and then he also goes to nursing home. Oh, that's fantastic. I mean, a, a, a wide range of, uh, of settings that he can uh, deliver value to. That's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, in the article, he also notes his doggy sister, Clover, who is a golden retriever, also not a small dog, um, <laughs> is, uh, is also in training to become a therapy dog. How's that going? Um, she's doing great. Clover is a little timid, so she's a little um, afraid of new situations. Uh, as far as all of the, the 13 steps, she can do that just fine. She just turned a year old, though. They have to be a year to be able to take the test. So she will actually take the next one in the spring. Okay. Well, so hopefully she'll be good to go. Well, we, we certainly wish her the best, and, and we thank you for being with us. Denise Bain. Mom to therapy dogs, S'mores and Clover, and S'mores' article on what it takes to be a therapy dog. First paw account, uh, the first-hand account, but it's a first paw account. It is in the latest issue of Healing Magazine. Denise, thanks for being with us. Good luck to you, and please give our best to, uh, to S'mores and Clover. I will. Thank you so much. Take care. Our thanks to Brittany, Kelly, Denise, S'mores, and all the contributors to the fall-winter edition of Healing Magazine. Remember, you can read all the articles in this issue of Healing Magazine. You can download complete versions of the magazine, and you can subscribe to get future copies of the magazine delivered to you for free. All of that at healingmagazine.org. Conversations with Kids Peace Podcast is produced by Robbie Allred. I'm Bob Martin. Thanks for being with us. We hope to have you be with us again for more Conversations with Kids Peace. Take care. <laughs>